Tonight, Luke chapter 4, Luke the fourth chapter, and um, <clears throat> I'll read a few verses to you from the New Testament then. Um, if this goes as I see it going tonight, we're going to spend a little time in the Old Testament looking at some things. And um, maybe do a little more teaching tonight than preaching, a little more uh, uh, studious tonight, Amen. But either way, there's some things I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to breathe on in our lives and emphasize to us. Amen. All right, so Luke chapter 4, and we'll begin at verse number 22. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say the proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do here also in your own country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all Israel. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Now, I'll keep reading, but let me just point something out real quick, all right? Jesus is going to remind these people of something that they already knew, that therefore using the word remind. This is not breaking news to them. They are very well aware of this widow that Elijah was sent to. And then we're about to read about a leper named Naaman that, that came to Elijah in this case and, um, and was, was healed, cleansed of his, of his leprosy. Now, you may not be familiar with in the region of Sidon, but this would have been in um, Phoenicia, uh, it's a port city, um, and for, I guess, our purposes tonight, these were non-Jewish people. These were not Israelites. Okay. And then verse 27, and many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha. So Elijah, Elisha, Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian, so all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. Verse 29, and rose up and thrust him, him being Jesus, out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him over the hill. Then passing through the midst of them, Jesus, he went his way. All right, so we've been in this passage now for a few weeks. And what we have recorded here is Jesus' trip to Nazareth after he began his earthly ministry. He was baptized in water. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted as our substitute, as our representative 
tempted in all points, the Bible says, like as we are, and yet without sin. Then after he returned from that time of fasting and, and being tempted, the Bible says that he came forth from that in the power of God's Spirit. And he began to minister in the synagogues in greater Galilee. And there was tremendous results. People being healed and demons being cast out and dead people being raised from the dead and signs and wonders, miracles in the firmament, things pertaining to weather and, and it's just all kinds of things. And the Bible even says that, that what we have recorded is only a sampling of all that really took place. It was phenomenal. And we see that people were traveling from as far away as Jerusalem, as far away as the other side beyond Jordan. We would say like from out in the sticks. I mean, people were coming from a long way off because of the, the you know, the reports of, of, of Jesus and what he was doing. And, and, and people were, were coming and being ministered to and, and being healed. But we have no record of anybody right there in his hometown of Nazareth even you know, go in a mile or two to hear, you know, what was going on with him. When he comes home to Nazareth, they have an attitude towards him that is completely different from the attitude that others had towards him. And this is the, this is the key thing here that I think is so important for us to understand and so Jesus did what he did in all those other synagogues. But just, if I could, at least one more time. How they received him was different. How they responded to him was different. And the results that he was able to produce amongst them were entirely different from the ones that he was able to produce in other places. Now, the attitude in their heart was born of an opinion. It was born of an opinion. And sometimes we don't, I think, understand the power of our opinions. A prophet named Simeon said of baby Jesus prophesying over him that of all the things that he would do, among them would be he would reveal, he would uncover the secret or hidden opinions in men's hearts. Now, on the surface, you think, I don't want Jesus messing with the opinions of my heart. I don't, but, but see, again, he is qualified. He is not doing that to condemn anybody but he's instead wanting to try to show you and me wrong opinions that have produced wrong attitudes that are preventing him from being able to do in our lives what he so desperately wants to do, longs to do, and what we, just be honest with you, we need him to do. In other words, there's a, there's a failure here to connect. I know we've been over this so many times, but, but we've looked at two New Testament examples of late, and I'm going to remind you of them again. Jesus was in a house, and the Bible says that not only was he there, the power of God was present to heal people who were physically sick. 
but not just heal anybody who was physically sick. Specifically, the power of God was present to heal the religious leaders who were present. It was, it was, it was their day. It was, God was wanting to do something in their life. Father was wanting to, to work through Jesus and touch them in a way so that their goodness could perhaps bring them to repentance. But nobody was healed except for one man who showed up late and, and four of his friends tore a hole in the roof and let him down through the roof. You would think, at least I would think, that if Jesus was there and the power of God was present to heal and there were people there who needed to be healed, that healings would be firing off left and right. No healings were happening. I think we said it this way last Sunday morning. Electricity will not flow through rubber and the power of God will not flow through unbelief. It will not flow through that kind of attitude. This is why Jesus' first sermon, by the way, first point of his first sermon was on the subject of attitude. If you read it, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. The first thing he addressed is something we call the Beatitudes, the kind of attitudes that we need. Because if our attitude isn't correct, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have us dialed in on a different frequency. We're going to be on a different, a different band or wavelength. It's like if you want to listen to, to Christian Radio 93.7, you've got to get on that FM band. You've got to, you've got to get dialed into that band. You're not going to receive the music that they're broadcasting if you're on an, the AM uh, band or if you're on a you know, somewhere other than that frequency. And so I know that I wish that we had, you know, three hours tonight to, to really dig into it. We've been doing some of this on Wednesday night as to why that is the case. But, I mean, we can, you can resist it and argue about it and fight against it, but it doesn't change. And again, Jesus is, is emphasizing this. He's trying to help you and me understand this. And, and so many people think that, you know, well, God just do anything for me. God hadn't helped me. And it's like he is trying to help us. I mean, he is trying to work in our lives. Remember, we're wanting him to do things in our lives that we haven't given him place to do. We haven't given him place to do it. And we've got to give him place to do it for him to be able and I know that it makes people nervous, but Mark 6, speaking of this, Mark's version of this same event, it says very clearly that he was unable to do any mighty miracle, any mighty work among them because of their attitude, because of the positioning of their heart. Now, it's probably time since we've read this so many times for us to, to look a little deeper into the two, let's call them case studies, that Jesus referred to in um, Nazareth, his hometown. And this was Elijah being sent to the widow in Phoenicia and Naaman being sent to Elisha. Naaman was a Syrian. He was not an Israeli. He was not um, one of Abraham's descendants. And of course, uh, the woman there in, in Sidon, she, she was not Jewish either. And these would have been things that, that these people were very familiar with. Now, we touched on this briefly this morning. I want to just touch on it again tonight, but we're not going to try to fully develop this tonight. I don't, I don't feel led that that's what we're supposed to do. But let me just show you something here. Jesus was not like deliberately trying 
to provoke these people. He, he was not trying to, to make them mad at him. And on the surface, they were making nice. They were marveling at the gracious words coming out of his mouth. They were probably even complimenting him on such an impactful reading of the scriptures. And, and he put so much feeling into it, Jesus. And you, you paused so dramatically at the right points. And you, you elevated your voice when it needed to be emphasized. And you know, they, they were critiquing him on his you know, oratory, on his, on his delivery, on his, all of these things. And, and you know, they just marveled at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. But again, the general consensus was, is this not Joseph's son? Now, on the surface, it would look like they had an attitude towards Jesus that was almost, you know, maybe a little bit favorable, a little more favorable um, on the favorable side of the scale if indifference is in the middle. Let me try to show you what I mean by that, okay? So if, if my, you know, center line here where I'm holding my hand, if this is like indifferent, do you understand indifferent? Indifferent means you can take him or leave him. You know, I mean, just whatever, Jesus, you know, do your thing, I'll do mine, you know. And then on this side would be like, just really like angry, like want to throw him off a cliff. <laughs> kill him if I could kill him and get away with it. Right? So indifference, kill him if I could kill him and get away with it. And then over here, you know, glorified by all what we saw in greater Galilee. If you just read this, you think those folks were somewhere like on the favorable side of indifferent. You know, I mean, it's look, okay, Jesus, I'm still, jury's still out on you, big guy. You know, but come eat some fried chicken at our house, you know. It's good to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. Looks like you've lost some weight, right? You've been fasting for 40 days. <laughs> it looks like you've lost some weight. You, 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 you kind of get that impression, okay? But see, here's the thing about Jesus. <clears throat> he loves you the way he finds you, but he loves you too much to leave you the way he finds you. You, you don't have to be something, you know, uh, you know, extraordinary for him to, to, be, to love you or to be concerned about you because in his eyes you are extraordinary, right? But he's not going to leave you in a mindset with an attitude um, that, that you're deceived by, that, that you think you are at best in, you know, at worst indifferent, at best have a favorable opinion of him, when what's really in your heart um, is murderous rage. If I said this this morning. I don't know if, I'm, if I fully developed the thought or not, but let me just try to introduce it again. If you were to ask these folks, you know, everybody looking at their watches, Jesus is supposed to be here any minute now, you know. If you were a reporter on the ground and putting microphones in people's faces, what do you think about Jesus? Man, he's from here, isn't he? I heard that Jesus was raised up over there, you know. I'm sure there were people, you know, like, yeah, he made our dining room furniture. You know, he's, you know, in other words, they would have, they would have acted like, yeah, I know him. He's my, he's my friend. We went to school together. We used to play soccer together, whatever. You know, they, they play soccer in those days. I don't know. Mark could answer that question. But, but you know, so you, you would have probably gotten the impression that they were excited about Jesus coming. They, they were you know, had a, a, a favorable heart and mind to him. Remember, Jesus said it this way. These people serve me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And so the Bible talks about if we just hear the word and never follow through and do the word that we deceive ourselves. 
And so there were a lot of people in Nazareth who, who were deceived. And so Jesus wasn't trying to provoke them by bringing up these two encounters from their history. He was trying to help them uh, see and reveal to them what their true attitude towards him was. We made a statement um, last Sunday, and some of you asked me after service to, to read it again. Some of you were writing it down, and, that, and it went something to the effect of, you know, Jesus, he didn't just hand out miracles like candy, because that would, we'd be endorsing um, an attitude towards him, or, or in other words, for him to do all that for them with, with them having the wrong attitude towards him, it would almost be like him in, endorsing a lack of respect that's going to send them to hell one day. And it's not that, as a matter of fact, Mark's, Mark's gospel says that when he marveled at their unbelief, that he just went from little village to village there in Nazareth, you know, teaching and preaching because faith comes by hearing and hearing, hearing by the word of God, right? So even then, he just, you know, he's like, wow, you know, see what I can do now to stir up some faith in these people's hearts. It wasn't like he just washed his hands of them and you're going to try to kill me? I'll never come back here again. No, he, he tried to help them. Tried to get the right attitude in them. Now, let's, let me finish right here. Praise God. Man, where's the time go? So he's talking about this Phoenician woman. And we find it in um, 1 Kings chapter 17, 8 through 16. This is about nine verses here. Um, let me read them all and then I'll comment briefly, okay? Then the word of the Lord came to him, him being Elijah, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and he said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. Verse um, 11. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not um, fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah and she and her household, I'm sorry, and she and he, Elijah, and she and Elijah and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. All right, now, a few things I want to point out to you. If you haven't connected the dots yet, this story is a story of giving place. 
This, this account is an account of a woman in Phoenicia who commanded her to provide for Elijah. The Lord commanded her to provide for him. The Lord commanded her. In other words, I, I want you to, let's not, that's a really, really important point, point here. It wasn't that Elijah showed up and asked her to give him place. The Lord commanded her first, and she, what, agreed. The Lord said, hey, I need somebody to take care of my prophet. Are you interested? Are you willing? Will you do it? And she's like, I'll do the best I can. Send him here, right? Now, up until this point, Elijah was being fed by ravens. By the last little brook that had dried up. I guess the Lord could have sent him with, you know, ravens full of water. I don't know, but he needed some water and he needed some food. And the Lord commanded this woman to care for him. And notice she said yes, that she would do it. So he shows up and there she is and he says, now this is a, a widow, meaning no husband, and she has a child. And all she has left is enough flour and oil to make a fire and make a little, I know the Bible doesn't say this, but could I just say a pone of cornbread? You know what I'm saying? Just make like a little, a little skillet of cornbread and they were going to eat it. And then that was it. There was, there was no more food. And even if it started raining, there, there's no way rain would come in time for them to plant something and grow something. In other words, they would be dead before, even if it rained before they died, there wouldn't be time enough to grow food again. And so she was just at that point, you know, it's like, this is all that I've got and this is all that I've got left. And notice he says, do exactly what you're saying, but make me a cake first. I was talking to my mom about this a few weeks back, you know. We were kind of talking about how reading through the Bible, you read this and you think, man, that arrogant, that, that selfish, how dare him to walk up in there and ask that woman for a little bit of her food and that's all the food she's got and she's a widow and about to starve to death and now he's going to come up in there and say, no, feed me first, right? But remember now, the Lord has set all this up. And of course, the point being that he was the man of God. He was the one that God had anointed. He was the one that God had blessed. That song we sang, Empowered to Prosper, the word to, to bless means to empower, to prosper. There was an empowerment upon him to prosper. And so when she gave him place, when she recognized and honored him as the man of God, do you see this? The Lord blessed what she had and that flour and the oil held and they ate from it. She ate from it, her household ate from it, and Elijah ate from it for days. All right, you got it? Now, 2 Kings chapter 5. This is uh, about 15 verses, so let's, uh, let's run through it. Now, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. 
And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on or served Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were, the, were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, <coughs> excuse me, that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive? That this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy. Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. Man, let me just go ahead. I know I said I was going to read it all, but let me just comment if I could just a minute here. This is, this is a sad day in Israel. When the king of Israel doesn't understand there's a prophet in Israel. Notice now there's a servant girl who's been taken captive by a raiding band of marauders from Syria, and she's now a servant in Naaman's house serving Naaman's wife. How about this young lady? How about the compassion? This man has taken her as a slave, and yet she says, there's a prophet in my country who can heal you of leprosy. Can you not imagine her being bitter and like, I'm just going to watch you die, joker, you know. No, no. She's a slave, but her heart is, hey, there's a, there's a guy that I know. I know a guy, right? He can help you. And there was this, this servant girl had given place to Elisha the prophet in her home country. And notice the king of Israel thought that this was a tactic by the king of Syria to pick a fight with him. Sent his military uh, leader, his, his military chief of staff, if you will, to, to him. And he's like, I, I've, sent my, I've sent my man to you. You heal him and send him back you know, clean of leprosy. And, and the king is like going, am I God? But there was a man of God, right? Let's keep reading. Verse 8. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Quit acting like that. You're, you're embarrassing us. Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Notice he's saying, And Naaman shall know there's a prophet in Israel, because clearly the king doesn't know there's a prophet in Israel. Are you seeing this? And he shall know there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away. I almost blew it here, didn't he? Became furious and went away. You ever been this close to a breakthrough, became furious and went away? <laughs> you ever been so close to what you've been looking for for years, right? 
the answer that you needed for years. You got so close to it and then lost your temper, lost your cool, lost your mind, got in the flesh, got in emotions, and missed out on what God was about to do for you. That's exactly what we see in is going on here with Naaman, right? Hallelujah. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. So notice what's going on here. He already had in his mind what he thought Elisha was going to do. Elisha was going to come and do some kind of ritual, some kind of ceremony. You know, again, this man isn't a, uh, he doesn't know Jehovah God, you know. He knows uh, false gods and these kinds of things. And so he's expecting some kind of, pardon the expression, some kind of hocus pocus, some kind of abracadabra, some kind of deal. And Elisha doesn't even come out. He just sends one of his servants out to tell the man what he needed to do in order to be clean. And then notice he, he gets all arrogant even more. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away in and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean. See, now here's another, here's another key thing. We think because we've got a really serious problem that we need a really complicated answer. We think because we've got a problem that we can't figure out that it's got to be something really hard for us to do to make it better. And he was offended at first because he's like, you mean just go dip myself seven times in, a, in an old nasty muddy river and I'll be cleansed of my leprosy. If that's all I needed to do, there's crystal clear rivers in my own country. Could have done that already. See, here's the difference. Here's the difference. God is the one who spoke through the prophet Elijah. Father God says to this man through the prophet, do this and you'll be cleansed. It's not a matter of go pick any river, any river will do. That's not, that's not what's going on here. The idea is that we're recognizing there is a prophet in Israel. God speaks to us through that prophet. And the prophet has said, this is what you are to do and this is what will correct the problem. Praise God. You've heard me say this before and I, I try to be gentle with this, but... I spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours in counseling. Let's just say it this way. More people don't do what I advise them from God's word to do than those who do it. I don't say it other than that. I mean, I'm just telling you, right? More people don't listen to me and do their own thing, Right? Instead of saying, you know what, Pastor Mark, God told me to come to you, and here's, what, here's the situation, what do you think? And, you know, sometimes after like multiple sessions, praying, fasting, going over God's word, we come up with it, right? I'm just saying, don't get all upset when I'm just saying, amen. Thank God that he had servants who, who this must have been a good man. You know, I mean, you, you could tell a lot about a boss, you know, by listening to what his employees have to say about him, right? 
And you got a woman who was a slave in his house, but loved him enough to, to tell him to go to see Elisha. And now you got servants who, you know, he could have just backhanded them, you know. But clearly they knew he wouldn't. They're like, look, you know, you kind of, you know, showing your hind end right now. And if he had asked you to do something hard, you'd have done it. If he'd have told you to go climb a mountain or this or that or pay even double what you brought him in money, you know. And so here again, notice that, that he came back from the brink. Verse 14, so he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Now, why did this make the people in Nazareth so angry when Jesus just says, let me remind you that the scriptures say a prophet is not without honor anywhere he goes except for his own country. And surely you will say to me, physician, heal yourself. They hadn't said that yet, but he knew that was the attitude of their heart. And that expression means um, you're a quack, you're a hypocrite. We don't believe you can do what you reportedly say you can do. That was the attitude of their heart. He said, but let me remind you that there were many widows in Israel when it didn't rain for three and a half years. People were dying by the thousands, if you don't know. It, it, this was horrible, what was going on. I'm not trying to get too graphic on you, but, but people were eating their children to try to stay alive. Okay, this was, this was horrible, all right? And he says, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when it didn't rain for three and a half years. But to none of them was he sent. Now, does that mean God wasn't interested in helping those starving widows? Could, nothing could be further from the truth. The only reason he was sent to the one in Phoenicia, and this is a good bit away from, you know, his central stomping grounds, right? I believe it's the only one that God could find that would give him place. The only one that God could find that would make him a cake first. Attitude of the heart, right? I'm not trying to get into the whole story, but if you remember, it was Elijah's word that stopped the rain. <laughs> I don't know if this woman had enough sense to recognize that if this man stopped the rain, this man can make it rain again. And him being alive might be more important than me and my son being alive. I don't know if she thought that far into it or not. But what did she do? She gave him place. And he says, and let me remind you in the days of Elisha, there were lots of lepers in Israel. But none of them were healed by Elisha except for a man from Syria. Because again, this man gave him place that the own, the own, the king of Syria, the king of Israel rather, didn't give Elisha. And he received from him. See, you see, these folks are like, 
it's kind of like folks today that you know, they, people don't want to hear because they think, well, you never know what God's going to do. You never know. You know, just these random things. And, and now Jesus is showing them it wasn't a random thing that he went and helped that particular widow. It wasn't a random thing that Elisha healed that leper. There's a reason why he healed that leper and no other lepers. There's a reason why Elijah and, and, you know, saved that widow and her son alive while other widows in Israel starved to death. It was because... Naaman gave Elisha place. It was because the widow gave Elijah place. And because they gave him place, they were able to do what God desired to do for many. Amen. Amen. All right, stand with me. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Well, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that your word is alive and it's powerful. And it's penetrating deep into our the marrow in our bones is penetrating and, and separating the part from us that soul from the part of us that's, that's spirit, Father. And Lord, the truth of these things, it's, it's a little bit daunting to face, Father, but it's a truth that we need to face. It's, it's, it's an understanding that we need to embrace. It's, 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 it's the reality of faith, and it's, and it's the importance of giving you the place in our lives that you deserve. Father, thank you for those that are here tonight. I'm not talking about anybody that's not here tonight. Father, I'm talking about those who are here. Lord, who could have been doing other things, could have been satisfying their flesh, could be somewhere eating, somewhere watching television, somewhere taking a nap. But they chose instead to give you this hour and a half of their lives, chose to give you this Sunday evening Choose to, chose to brush their teeth and comb their hair, Father, and, and come worship you. Giving you place, Father. Giving you place. Lord, show us how we can give you more place, more room in our lives tomorrow. Show us, Father, how we can include you in all that we are, in all that we have, in all that we do. Because truly, Father, in you we live and move and have our being. Thank you for the things that you've taught us today, Lord. May we not just carry them with us, but may we walk them out. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love you. I love you. Thank you so much for being here. I'll see some of you in the morning, some of you Tuesday, Wednesday, throughout the week. You'll be blessed. Good things coming.